I have been riveted by God, and I, I've been eagerly awaiting this series. I, I, I don't say this in, in hyperbole. I, I want to just tell you, um, I, I'm not trying to ramp this up. I'm, I, this may be the most important series I ever preach in my life. I, 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 I can't tell you um, how desperate it is for God's church to get a hold of this message and to get a hold of what God is trying to say to us. And uh, in fact, uh, we're, it's overcoming darkness. My, my one question is this. If light dispels darkness, then why is there so much darkness? And there's an answer that I'm going to give you, but I, I, I want to be very, very serious with you today. Overcoming darkness. How many want to overcome darkness in your life? In our nation? Have you looked around at some of the stuff going on in the world? We need to overcome darkness. It's been done before. It can be done again. Amen. And it starts with the light of the gospel that is inside of us. So for this opening message, and I, I want you to listen loud and clear through this message. Um, as you know, we've been kind of preparing for this. Uh, the title of this first message is A Cry of Desperation. Everybody say, A Cry of Desperation. So I would like for you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. We have version notes. Uh, many of you know that. You can, you can pull up your phone, if your Bible on version, and you can go to the version notes that we have for you. You make notes as you go, and you can save them to refer back later. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. And uh, if you've got it, I want you to stand for the reading of God's word, and then we'll let you be seated. And, uh, and I hope this grips your heart the way that it has gripped my heart. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And uh, when you get it, just shout out a good amen. amen. God is speaking here, and he says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. Wow. He said, I, I, I was looking. I was looking for someone, anyone, to stand in the gap so that I may not destroy the land, but I couldn't find any. Now, I know, of course, that's Old Testament and Jesus came, but, but I believe Jesus is speaking from the heavens and God is speaking from the heavens today in the New Testament times. And he is saying, I'm still looking for someone to stand in the gap in Cincinnati that I may deliver it. Save it. Do you know in the book of Acts, whole cities came to God? The whole city came to the Lord. Everybody got saved. At the end of this series, I'm going to give you a message that will blow your mind of what God did in a country. And today, I'm even going to give you a little bit of that in another country. But you're, I'm telling you, you're, you're not going to want to miss any of this series. Your prayers and your intercessions make a difference. So I want you to hang on and listen closely this morning because God's trying to speak to us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for a reminder of how important it is for us to send the word of God into Iran and other nations. I, I am overwhelmed with joy to see new Christians being birthed in Iran. And that we have the privilege to sneak Bibles in where the country says it's illegal. And yet we're, we're a part of getting the word of God, the good news into this country. And to see it saved. And I pray, Father God, that we will you give us favor to see the good news of Jesus Christ displayed all through Cincinnati here. And to our neighbors and our families and our friends. Lord, raise us up as prayer warriors. 
I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us, God, through your word. Anoint me to speak not one word of my own, but every word from the throne of God into our hearts. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, you set me aside. You to speak through me, God. Use my personality and who I am, but God, speak. Lord, I don't need to hear my word, but your word. I'm asking you right now, God, that this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts. And I pray you more than shake us, more than move us. I'm asking you to transform us, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, to be more in your image like you than we've ever been before. And so we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise for these things, God. Anoint me to preach, Father, today, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, hold your Bibles up in the air. Let's boldly declare, Father. Today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. One evangelist was asked what the secret to revival was. He had experienced some great revivals and some great moves of God. And they asked him, they said, hey, what's the secret to revival? He said, oh, that's easy. He said, go home and take a piece of chalk and draw a circle. He said, then stand in the circle and ask God to revive everything inside that circle. I could actually stop preaching right now. We live in a day and age in America where we desperately need revival. Many people are seeing the rise of darkness in the earth today. Laws are being issued against the church. Pressure to conform to standards that are unbiblical or in our face. I told us and everyone in the huddle this morning. We had huddle time and prayer time this morning at 9. And I said, hey, while the world is shoving their sin down our throats, I want to tell you I want to boldly proclaim and I'm not going to be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Because he saves. Amen. Some feel helpless. Some Christians and churches feel helpless. They feel powerless. They throw their hands in the air and they say, what could we possibly do? How can we change anything? The answer is to cry out to the Lord in prayer. I mean sincere prayer. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Boy, I love that. Dr. Curtis Hudson said, there is more that you can do after you pray, but there is nothing you can do until you pray. J. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said the prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in a place of weakness, failure and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, says, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and, and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. Have you ever been there? We know we called to prayer, but the level of prayer we are currently ha at has no power to break through the darkness that we're seeing as a society. Otherwise, the darkness would be pushed back. If I turn all the lights off in this place, darkness does not quench the light. 
light dispels darkness. So you're going to hear me say this over and over and over because if you're not careful, you'll listen to me today and you'll say, man, he's on a doomsday kick. I'm not on a doomsday kick. I'm on a reality kick. If light inside of us dispels the darkness, then why is there so much darkness? The answer is we're not getting the Spirit of God to come and His light and push the darkness out through prayer and time with Him. Some people feel like that their own walk with the Lord doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't feel like they're to a place where they can do anything about what they're seeing. So they watch hopelessly as the darkness invades and many churches clam up within themselves and they say, we better hold on to the few people we have or we'll just, we'll just cave up and die. We won't even be able to be a church anymore. And they cower down to the lies of the enemy. Listen, if greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and I believe that, then why is there so much evil in the world and around us? The unity among individuals and churches, listen, is not strong enough to push the darkness back. One individual praying by itself is not nearly enough to push back the darkness that we're seeing. There needs to be a desperation for God's people to come together in prayer to fight back the darkness and take back our nation. This country has seen two great awakenings where, where they would shut businesses down in places like Denver and Portland. And I'll talk to you later on in the series about these things at lunchtime so people could go to church and pray in the middle of their workday. I want to tell you we can get back to that again. I want to tell you we're not in a hopeless situation. I want to tell you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I want to tell you we have the answer of the greatest man that ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ, who ever lives and has given us power and authority. Somebody say amen. There are unprecedented events happening in the world today. Every year in the past few years there has been record damage of natural disasters and storms. And you saw the crazy hurricane down in the south right now that started in Tennessee, went through Georgia, got over the Gulf of Mexico. The waters there are 86 degrees. And it just turned into this storm, and it's flooding New Orleans, and it's going to come back up through here. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. Weird stuff is happening. Damage, catastrophic stuff, earthquakes in L.A., and I, the list could go on. Countries are on the brink of economic failure. In fact, most countries are. Violence, corruption, moral and spiritual decay are increasing and spreading throughout the world. Around the world, the traditional family unit and the concept of marriage is changing rapidly. This is bringing emotional health problems to families due to the, distor uh, the, the distortion of sexuality. There's an amazingly high number of abortions in America alone. Over 61 million babies aborted in the United States alone since Roe v. Wade. Over 295,000 abortions this year alone. Over 1.5 billion babies aborted in the world to date. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the world of meters information you can see, you can pull this up. Abortions worldwide this year. I want you to look at the number worldwide this year alone. 22,597,000. And look at the number how fast babies are being aborted. While I'm preaching this word. 22 million murders. 22 million. Thank God for Ohio passing the heartbeat bill. Thank God for other states passing 
the heartbeat bill. I, for one, have prayed for many, many years that God would just ban abortions of any kind, period. And I'm praying it's getting to that. Amen? I, I just read the other day on the Drudge Report that said America is, 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 is putting up, more and more Americans are, are pushing back against them pushing homosexuality down our face. And I thought, well, praise God, America's finally waking up. Amen. Promiscuity, experimentation, confusion of sexuality and sexual orientation are at an all-time high. I'm not here judging anybody. I'm not here casting stones. I'm telling you, this is kind of a, a state of the church address for America. We are faced with some serious issues. I don't know why this thing will not work right. The negative consequences, it's not hearing, it's pulling off my ear. The negative consequences are affecting the very foundation of society. Listen to these stats I found recently. The pornography industry is a $97 billion business worldwide. One in eight of all internet searches are of erotic content. One in five searches are on mobile devices or pornography. The American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, you'll like this one, Chris, estimates that approximately 55% of divorce cases in America, at least one of the spouses is not just viewing pornography, they're obsessed with it. They won't stop. Here's one, if this don't make you sick, this next one will. Child pornography is a $3 billion industry and one of the fastest growing businesses online. The largest consumer of internet pornography is 12 to 17 year old age group. The Christian's Post has reported that 90% of 8 to 16 year olds, 8 year olds, have seen pornography on the internet at least once. Look, we're faced with our society crushing and complete destruction and devastation. And the church sits back and won't pray. Worldliness and compromise in the church are on the rise. Christian beliefs held for centuries are eroding before our face. Apostasy is at an all-time high. Attitudes towards sexuality. Sanctity of life. Christ as the, as the only source of salvation. God as the creator of the universe. And the sustainer of life. The existence of heaven and hell. The existence of life eternal. Are all eroding and it's creating a compromising church. The church is frequently being ridiculed for being hypocritical. As a matter of fact, I was blown away when I found this, when I studied this. Non-believers, in, in polls and studies now, non-believers see the church in America as tolerating sin to avoid offense and hurt feelings. People that don't go to church are now looking at the church and saying, you guys tolerate sin because you don't want to hurt nobody's feeling and you want to avoid the deal. The world's condemning us now. Non-believers are doing this. Churchgoers, listen, churchgoers now treat church as a social, social function and not a place to worship and encounter God. It's become a social thing to do. You say, Pastor, I don't, I'm not liking this. Well, I'm, I'm not a fan of it either, but this is what God's got to say to us today. Amen? I don't know about you, but as I study this, I want to put the chalk and say, God, revive every part of me. We're here to make a difference, not just exist and hope we make it. Someone shout a good amen. Seeing all this darkness should provoke us to pray. 
We should be provoked to create an atmosphere that will allow God to come down and His light to spread and change what we see in society. I'm here boldly preaching and proclaiming that we can make a change in Cincinnati. We can make a change in Deer Park and Kenwood and Silverton. We can see things change and the crime rate go down and people come to Christ and those that are confused come to the Lord. We have God inside of us. But my fear is that we're so consumed with ourselves and what we want that we're willing to tolerate the darkness. But how much darkness are we willing to tolerate? We should be provoked to create that atmosphere of, of, of His glory. John 1.5 says this, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness, watch this, has not what? The darkness can't overcome the light that's inside of us. Well, if light dispels darkness, why is there so much darkness? If we see the darkness growing, and it is, it's because we are not praying enough to get the light in to push the darkness out. That's just where we are, folks. Do you have a desire to pray? Do you have a longing to create an atmosphere of light that pushes the darkness out? Are you willing to cry out in desperation and say, oh God, we need revival again? It's easy to say I need revival in my country. It's easy to say I need revival in Cincinnati. But it's a whole other thing to get before God open and honest and say, God, where's the fire in me? Revive me, God. Don't worry about everybody else. Start with me. I want to be like they write in the Bible so many times. They were full of the Holy Ghost and full of fire. Wow. So point number one is this. Here's an answer to this problem. Build an altar of prayer to God. Everybody say build an altar of prayer to God. The Old Testament, watch what happens. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1 through 2 and 7 through 8. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commander of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Report back to me so that I may know how many they are. Everybody say, Satan rose up. Verse 7 and 8. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. Notice it was Satan that rose against Israel. Satan is always the real enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and sober mind for your enemy. Everybody say, my enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. Watch this. Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against what? Evil rulers. And authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. People are not our enemy. 2 Samuel 24 and also 1 Chronicles 21 is the account here. Basically, David wakes up one day. The devil incites him to say, I want to see how big and bad and awesome my army is. 
God took offense to it because it wasn't how big and bad David's army was or how skilled as a warrior it was. Every battle he won was because God gave him the victory. And every battle you and I will ever win is because God gave us the victory. Someone shout amen to that. So God took offense to it and said, man, we're going to have to deal with this. So 1 Chronicles 21, 15 through 17, God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it, relented concerning the disaster, and said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Verse 16, David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. You and I would do the same. Verse 17. David said to God, Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord my God, let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. This was God's judgment on sin. Now listen. David never saw the, the angel destroying Jerusalem until God commanded the plague to stop. I want you to see this. The first time David sees the angel is when God says, enough. Now, that's why, why is that important? Because just like David, if God doesn't open our eyes, we won't see the judgment either. That's God's first act of mercy. Allowing us to see the darkness of our sinful situation, our sinful society, and cry out for mercy and grace. Wow. It's only by God's mercy that God is staying the hand of judgment on the United States. Listen, with just the abortions alone, not everything else, you better know there's judgment coming at some point to America. And it's only by His grace it hadn't really happened. That's why when we see the judgment coming, when we see the darkness pervading, but we don't pray, guess what? The darkness doesn't go anywhere. The darkness, listen, if you give the devil an inch, he takes a mile. He'll kick the door wide open. We, we have to stand. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church is what Jesus said. Gates don't move. We're supposed to be moving on the attack, not the darkness. Man, I'm telling you, there's a light inside of us. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the earth. We, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He's given it to us. To what we sit in heavenly places. It's time for us to rise up. Get a backbone and say, Ha, oh, I've had enough. Thus far and no more. Somebody shout amen. You know, every now and then when I'm sparring in Krav, and, you know, somebody, they're faster, younger and all that, and I take a few licks, and then something, I don't know, happens in me, and I just, something clicks, and I say, okay, I had enough of this. <laughs> you fixing to get some blows now yourself, big boy. So let's go, you want to bring it? Let's dance. So, you know, there comes a time where you get hit by the enemy, and you get hit by the enemy, and hit, and we got to quit cowering down like a beat dog and stand up and say, wait a minute. I'm the one in victory. I'm the one that's more than a conqueror. I'm the one Jesus has already given the victory to. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hey, there's no weapon forming against me that shall prosper. I have to walk in the victory. Man, I'm telling you, something needs to rise up in us. Man, and just say, no, I've had enough. In the name of Jesus, if I've got the victory, I'm walking in it in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. 
Ezekiel 22 and 30. He basically said, I look for somebody to stand the gap and pray. So I would stop what's going on and nobody would do it. It's like God was saying, let me see if my people will do the right thing and create an atmosphere for me to move and come and bring light and push back the darkness so I can have mercy on them. He was saying, I'm looking for a person or a group of people that will dare to believe me to push back darkness in the land. And today I think he's raised me up and he stirred me up to come and present this and say, will Bridge of Hope be a group of people that will stand in the gap, that will push back the darkness in our land and see people run to Jesus? See, whatever area of your life you pray over invites God's presence to come in and get involved. Prayer creates an atmosphere for God's presence. Poke your neighbor and say, prayer creates an atmosphere for God's presence. Watch this, John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Who's the life? Jesus, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, watch this. If there's an area of your life that is dead, dying, or in darkness, it could be because you're not inviting the author of life through prayer to come and touch it. Everywhere Jesus goes, he brings Life. If there is darkness anywhere in any aspect of your life, ask yourself, have I invited his presence to come into that area? Because if he has and will show up, guess what? He'll bring. We make it so difficult. Have you ever been anywhere where I, I know I was not too long ago beating my head against the wall and, and I thought, man, I got to figure this out. And it just hit me. The Lord just spoke and said, well, have you prayed about it? And I thought, duh, duh. <laughs> I guess I haven't. Let me try inviting the author of life into this problem, and maybe we'll get an answer. Someone, Am I the only one that's ever been there? Everywhere Jesus goes, he brings life. Look at Acts 3.15. Watch what it says. He's, they're speaking to the Pharisees and the people, and he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses. He's the author of life. If you've got a marriage problem, get the author of life in there. If you've got a family problem, get the author of life in there. If your child or grandchild is off on skid row, get the author of life to work in on their heart. Amen. If Whatever it is, just start inviting the author of life, Jesus Christ, to come, and he'll bring life. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 15 says, If my people who are called by my name. This is a church. This is, this is for God's people scripture here. If God's people, if us Christians who are called by his name, Jesus, will humble ourselves and pray. In other words, God is saying, man, even in the Old Testament, my people won't really pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have a question. Are you inviting the author of life into every area of your life? Are you inviting the author of life, Jesus, into your home, into your marriage, your business, the gym with you? Everywhere you go, turn your car into a prayer altar on your way to work. Someone shout amen. 
Look, when God's people do 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15, when we pray, when we seek his face, when we go after him, it was God who drew us to do it and God who awakens us. What my question is this, will you create an atmosphere that will allow God's presence to come in, forgive our land, heal our land and see revival? That's what he's asking us today. The problem with most of us is when we begin to pray and God begins to answer, we stop praying. God has not taken the plague away. He has stopped it for a period. We must continue to pray and seek him every day, inviting his presence into everything we do. Wow. That's what Ezekiel 22 is saying. We are to build up the wall. And Jonah 1, 4 through 6, this is a great picture of where we're at as a church today. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Everybody say a, 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 some kind of destruction, right? So if you'll go to the next slide for me. They sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So they're faced with a problem. All the sailors were afraid. Darkness is on them. And each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo. Listen, the pagans are praying. And they threw the cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. They tried to fix the problem man made. They tried to do what they could do, man do, to fix a, a spiritual problem. You can never take a natural solution and fix a spiritual problem. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The pagans are praying. Mankind's trying to fix problems without God. Spiritual problems with natural solutions. And the church is sleeping. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, watch what verse 6, go to the next one. It says, how can you sleep? I, I think the world could accuse the church of that today. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we won't perish. The world is praying to their false gods. The mankind is trying to fix spiritual problems with natural solutions. And we, the ones with the answer, are largely sleeping. Pastor, I don't like this message. I, look, I'm just a mailman. I got to deliver what God has me deliver. Amen. I'm riveted too. Look, we need to create an atmosphere. There's a reason that so much darkness is coming to a land. Listen, some Christians, I'll say in America, because I've been around the world and I know how other countries pray, America in particular, some Christians in America, their prayer time consists of a 15-second bless my meal and a two-minute bed-night prayer. No wonder darkness is everywhere. We need to create an atmosphere for God to come and dwell in us. How did the judgment stop? When the judgment was gone with David, he had the senses and the angels destroying everybody. The question is, how did he stop? What were the conditions to stop the darkness in the land? Watch what 2 Samuel gives us the answer in two verses. Verse 18, on that day... Gad went to David, the, the overseer, the, 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 the prophet went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Verse 25, David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land. Then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague of Israel was stopped. He built a prayer altar to God, 
and God stopped the darkness. So how do we build an altar to stop the darkness in our land? Well, it starts with us. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we need to create a prayer altar in ourselves. We are a living prayer altar. We are a living sacrifice. We need to go back to turning our homes into prayer altars and our vehicles into prayer altars. We need to go back and turn our back porches and our living rooms and our dining room tables into prayer altars. We need to go to work. And if we can't do it out loud, obviously, in most places, but we can at least silently under our breath turn it into prayer altars while we're going through the grocery stores make it a prayer altar everywhere we go we need to turn into prayer altars because it invites the presence of God it invites the light that pushes back the darkness somebody say amen in the mid 1990s people from around the world heard about the national revival going on in Uganda everybody say Uganda it was a nation notorious for violence in 24 years between 1962 and 1986, they had 10 presidents. They had military coups. They had bloody war after bloody war. And then they faced a pandemic that none could see coming, and that was AIDS. In the years prior to 1990, whenever upheaval happened in the nation, the church in Uganda would go to prayer, and they would pray until things changed. The governance in the land would change. But then as the government was ousted and relative peace came, the church would quit praying. It wasn't that the plague stopped, it was gone forever. It was that it was stopped. And so they prayed. When the problem went away, like many of us, they quit praying and seeking God so bad until more problems came, then they'd go running back to God. It's like we Christians need problems or something. I don't know what it is, but it's like we need issues. Each time they cried out for God's mercy, He would stay His hand of judgment. Listen. He was waiting for an altar of prayer to be built, for an atmosphere to be created, for him to come. And I'm telling you right now, God is waiting for a group of people and Christians across America to rise up and say, we're going to create prayer altars unto God. I praise God for men like Dr. Tony Evans who invited to pray at uh, Memorial Day. A big thing there in Dallas, Texas. They said, you can't pray in the name of Jesus. And he got in there and prayed in the name of Jesus. And he prayed repentance on him and everything. And he said, you don't want me saying Jesus? Don't invite me. Amen. I love it that he stands up and says, I'm boldly proclaiming Jesus. A new problem arose in Uganda that had nothing to do with human leaders. The AIDS pandemic was like anything they'd never seen before. In the 1980s. The WHO, the World Health Organization, estimated that uh, Uganda was the nation worst hit by the AIDS virus. In fact, uh, HIV and AIDS levels in early 1990s was at 36%. One third of the nation of Uganda was either dead or dying of AIDS. Listen, the report said that by the year 2000, 30% of the entire population of Uganda would be dead and 30% would be infected by AIDS or HIV. 60%, 6 out of 10, would be destroyed by AIDS. The church in Uganda went into a time of prayer and fasting, asking God, what is wrong with our country and what is happening to us? Man, don't, I don't know about you, but with all everything going on in the United States alone, shouldn't the church be getting together saying, what is going on? What can we do about this? When Idi Amin ruled, they had bloodshed. When Milton a boat came, people were killed. The guerrilla soldiers ousted him, and 
Killings followed. Joseph Coney and the Lord's resistant army brought more bloodshed in northern Uganda, but then they had to deal with AIDS. No human leader could be blamed for that. So they had to reach beyond human enemies to seek God. So God revealed that it was the same devil. Listen, I want you to sit up and listen to what God told them because I'm going to read to you some of the prophetic words that God spoke through men of God to the nation of Uganda. He said it was the same devil using different tactics to steal, kill, and destroy. He spoke to them and said, you're a weak church because you don't know your enemy. Your real enemy is Satan. Here's what he said through the prophetic word to the pastors and the people of Uganda. He said, you think Idi Amin, Milton Abote, or the rebel soldiers are your enemy, but it is the devil who is your enemy at all times. And he is using, listen, different weapons to destroy the nation. He is the one who came through the region killing people using leaders. Now he's changed tactics and is using AIDS to kill your nation. He has only three agendas. Listen, God spoke to the people of Uganda, and this is proven scripturally. He said he only has three agendas to steal, kill, and destroy. People are not your target. The devil and his works against you are your target. Wow. Every problem is a spiritual problem. There is nothing that cannot be traced back to a spiritual problem. The good news is we're on the winning side. We don't have to tolerate and put up with this anymore. How many of you are empowered by this? Listen, America's enemies, it's not illegals crossing the borders. It's not Democrats. It's not Republicans. It's not the heroin pandemic. It's the devil using different tactics. And we in America better wake up. I feel like God this morning is shaking us saying, when will you wake up? It's like if you got a big dog and this little dog keeps yipping at him and yipping at him. It's like you want to go and speak to the big dog and say, just, just mash him. Just, just step on him. I think God does the same. He's like, don't you realize the power inside of you? Don't you realize you're the one with the victory? Why are you tolerating this? Just squash him. The devil's under your feet. Woo! We better wake up and create a prayer altar to God. We need to have an atmosphere created for God to come, which will push back the enemy. Look, we can't push back the darkness. David's army couldn't do it, but God can. Which leads me to my final point, and I'm almost done. And that is number two, God is calling us to prayer. Look, every family, every church should be praying together. I plead with you, come at 9.15 on Sunday morning and pray. Come to prayer meetings on Wednesdays at 10. Man, God is calling us. Darkness is taking over our nation. Darkness is ransacking our lives. It's trying to destroy our children. And we can't get people to show up a few minutes early to pray. We come in here and sometimes I feel like I got to cheerlead some of you. Come on, worship God, worship God. No wonder darkness is whipping our tails. Are, are, we, uh, are, are you kidding me? Uh, look, I know this is a little in your face. 
But when are we going to wake up and say, man, I'm storming the gates of hell. I've had the privilege twice to go to Brooklyn Tabernacle Church prayer meeting on Tuesday night. Jim Cymbal in Brooklyn, New York. I went twice just for their prayer meeting. I was told for the 7 o'clock prayer meeting in a sanctuary that seats over 5,000, you better get there at 5 or you may not get a seat. I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I showed up at 5 o'clock. There's at least 250 people in there. Music's going, and I mean prayer's happening. By 5.30, an hour and a half before prayer, there are thousands of people shaking the heavens through prayer. By 6 o'clock, it is standing room only an hour before the official prayer meeting starts. You can hear the roar of prayers. I don't mean people silently. I mean people boisterously taking command and authority in prayer. By 6.30, they have a line completely out of the whole theater all the way down where the leaders of the church will stand up and they can come have individual prayer. By 7 o'clock, you feel like the roof is going to come off that place and they start singing songs and nobody has to cheerlead anybody. They worship with passion and they pray with passion. And then Jim Cimbala or somebody gets up and has a little 20-minute message. And then they go into official prayer and they pray till 9, 9.30. And finally at 10, 10.30, they have to kick people out who have been praying there for five hours. They pray at that church 24-7. Somebody is praying at that church Every hour of every day, always. While the church services are going on, intercessors and prayer people are underneath the sanctuary praying for the people upstairs to get saved, to catch fire, to be healed, to be delivered. No wonder they've reached tens of thousands of people and have turned Brooklyn upside down for Jesus. What I'm telling you is if that can happen in Brooklyn, why can't it happen in Cincinnati? They're so hungry, they just come, and they come just to pray. There's no organizing, hardly anything. They just kind of go with things. But, man, you couldn't beat them out of their prayer meeting. When will we ever get to the place where we're so hungry for God? We don't need to dangle carrots and all that. We just say, man, if my brothers and sisters are praying, I'm praying too. I'm so hungry for God. You, man, man, Pastor, you're off the wagon today. I, I know I am. Listen, I want to tell you, man, we've got to get a hold of the throne of God. We've got to get a hold of God again and realize what are we doing? Man, we should start praying in workplaces and everywhere because it gives God legal ground to come work. Listen, when we pray, we give God legal ground to come and work in our land. Our nation is being decimated because God's people are not praying as they should. Darkness is is prevailing because we're not bringing the light in. So what's the strategy? And I'm almost done. Genesis 13, 17. I'm going to really flesh this out next week. God gave the answer to Abram. He said, go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. Create prayer altars. If we will build God a prayer everywhere we go, God will rescue our nation. Because it creates an atmosphere and gives God the legal authority to come move in our land. 
I say we just get in the car on a Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever. Just park it somewhere and just start walking through Deer Park and Kenwood. And say, God, in the name of Jesus, I invite your light in this place. Holly and I sub at the school sometimes. And I, what the school systems don't know, I don't not allow with it. But as I walk them halls with them kids, and boy, have my eyes been open to what's really going on in the school systems around us. We're subbing six or seven of them, I know. As I walk through those school systems, I just pray, God, bring light in here. God, turn the school upside down. God, grip a hold of these kids. Grip a hold of these teachers. Grip a hold of these principals. God, I pray they start having prayer meetings and Bible studies before and after service. I, I, our church, our school, I pray they start having them at lunchtime. I pray there be such an outbreak that I don't care what anybody in the community says. They can't stop what you're doing. God invited in. I've connected with some of the teachers, and I tell them what I'm doing. They say, oh, praise God. God sent another one. Amen. I'm praying that too. And I love it. And I just join with some of the teachers who I know are on fire for God. And I just say, hey, man, let's pray about this. We can pray and invite God's presence. I want to tell you, we ought to be walking the school system of Deer Park and just inviting his presence and his light to come in there and grip a hold of the people. Someone say Amen. We need to build prayer altars throughout the land. Listen, prayer altars and building walls and standing in the gap. Listen to these two quotes. I'm almost done. If we don't build prayer altars and walls and stand in the gap, then who will? How much darkness do we have to tolerate before we'll do something about it? The corruption, the worldly mindset, sin, and other forms of darkness are eroding our society. Listen, there are 1,200 children in Cincinnati right now going through the process or the information or the education to become a transvestite. Twelve hundred children in our city alone. According to the National Children's Alliance, 700,000 children are abused in the United States every year. In 2015, is the most recent stat I could find, 23,000 Child abuse victims right here in the state of Ohio. If we would pray, the Holy Spirit would come in unprecedented levels and change this. Ian Bounds said it best. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men or women whom the Holy Ghost can use. I'll use the word people. People of prayer. People mighty in prayer. Who will stand in the gap and pray? Who will stand in the gap and pray? Who will say I've had enough? I'm not dealing with this bully no more. I'm going to pray. I mean, if... Do it for your families. Here's what I'm going to do. They got a song they're going to sing. But if you're physically able, I want you just to turn your seat into a prayer altar. Maybe just if you can get out on your knees and put your elbows on the chair. How many would join me and just take a few moments and pray? Pray. Listen, I, I, I appeal to you. I beg you. Come at 915 on Sundays. Look, if you're coming to church anyways, come early. Why don't we create the greatest atmosphere for God to move in here that 
Cincinnati's ever seen that when people come to movies they just divert right in here and they get saved and they're not even sure why we, you, you heard what the Lord told me about empty vessels we got two vans we're not using them we're in the process of working that out to go pick people up how many will join me and start praying God to compel people to get on those vans I'm praying we have to bring in hundreds van routes. I'm talking about one van route after the other. For God to compel them to get on. Where they come and say, I don't even know why I got on the van. I just got on. Can we just, can we pray God draw? Can we pray that God tear down every wall of defense anybody has so when they come, they feel the love of God through us and the Spirit of God moves on them and they can't help but accept Jesus. Would you join me? Let's pray. Can you? Is anybody's heart broken this morning? Is anybody so moved? This man, I'm gonna pray right where I'm at. Oh God, have mercy. Find a spot, maybe just kneel down if you can. If you're not physically able, just your, turn your seat right where you're at into your prayer altar.